going to do something I haven't done in a while. We're going to take up the tithes and offerings at the end of this service. If you just go ahead and have a seat, and then I'd love to end today with our last song after me. And Brad's going to stay up here, and I'm going to flow with this, go opposite than I did this morning. I believe the Father wants to intimately minister deliverance to people while I speak. You know, a third of the things that Jesus ministered was deliverance. You can't watch movies about it. It gets really weird with the movies. Really, in the Greek, it's just to untangle. It's to untangle his, his children. And so I'm going to have Brad stay up here. And we're just going to give it a go and see what happens. I just encourage you over the next 30 minutes or so to just really be really relaxed in your heart. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, my name's Chad. I'm the pastor here. And we just want you to get ministered to by the Father. We're not here to put on some sort of show. You want to lay down, lay down. Uh, you want to go to sleep, go to sleep. But I encourage you to really aggressively in your heart lean in towards the Father. Father says that he is the most misunderstood person in the history of the world. He's actually a very kind person. He's so kind. Show me a picture that when many of his children get to heaven, they're in shock. Because their whole lives they were passionate about a God that in their minds was one way and then they meet him and he's not like that at all he's a very tender person and deliverance comes when you connect to the tenderness of the father so many people come to God to get to heaven when they die the whole purpose of sin in Jesus here was to get to the father now It's never been about religion in his mind. It's never, that's not what he's like. I mean, he genuinely likes to connect with people and help them. <laughs> and think about it if the enemy's the opposite of the father, and if the enemy's the accuser, the father doesn't accuse us. And what's interesting is he's not just tender towards the addict, he's tender towards the older brother in the prodigal son. His tenderness just doesn't change. And perhaps you're in this room this morning and you just know that you, you just need deliverance from something. You ever just get the feeling you're being bothered and you just feel, you don't feel like yourself? If that's you in here, just raise your hand. You may have known him for a hundred years, but I bless you over the next 30 minutes that you would, in the natural, experience a tangible sense of relief. So Father, we love you a lot. I thank you for Brad Boyer. I pray that as he plays over the next few minutes, you would even minister to him. I pray, Father, you would take the sounds of this keyboard and go deep into the hearts of people. We just want to connect with you, Father. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you so much. We're not here to entertain each other or check something off a list we genuinely want to connect with you our big brother our king our shepherd our savior our warrior Lord Jesus I ask that you help people in this room help people on this podcast You know, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit calls himself the helper. 
He loves to help. It's in his DNA. If you need help from the Holy Spirit, tell him. I think one of the greatest sins of our generation is self-reliance. If you look at the history of America, we're founded upon pioneers. We've done a whole lot in a few hundred years. <laughs> Pretty successful. There's a downside to that in the kingdom. If you promote your own competency, you actually oppose the grace from the Father. What draws upon the grace of the Father is an admittance of who you're not. And so a lot of people desire to connect with a faith family and we, we carry these personas of someone we're really not. When if you just come clean and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. We're more concerned about another, people, another person thinking I'm weak. What the Father wants, the Father loves it when you just say, you know what? I'm just not doing too good. But self-reliance teaches the opposite. We've got to be a bunch of John Waynes. Pull your bootstraps up. You know the only reason you have success in your business is the grace of the Father? The only reason you're breathing is the grace of Papa. <laughs> there comes a point when if you'll just confess how big he is and how in the grand scheme of things you're not that significant, he doesn't pummel you, he actually exalts you. He or she who wins in the kingdom is the one that learns to brag on the shepherd the most. I want to read a passage from Paul in 2 Corinthians. It's a secret in Paul's life. Paul had a secret, but yet you don't meet many people that do this. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, and whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. You know, I want to have such gregarious experiences with the Father that I can't explain them. If we can explain everything we're experiencing with the Father, we're probably not walking with Him. There needs to be times where He so overwhelms us to where it's like, I'm not even going to ask for an interpretation of that dream. This is too much for me. I don't ever want a God I can figure out. I don't want a God that I can explain to everybody. I want to walk with a God that's so overwhelming. Sometimes I just say, I just need a break. Whether I was in a body, I, I don't know. Don't ever chase a theology that answers every one of your questions. He was called up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Weaknesses, excuse me. Let's go back there. It's not singular. A bunch of them. When's the last time you had a trusted person in your life and you just said, you know what, I want to boast about three things that I just really need to cross 10 times a day on. When you do that, it actually draws community towards you and it draws grace towards you. But when we have this false personality and I answer every question and everything's always great, sometimes things aren't great. Sometimes Saul's trying to kill you for 14 straight years and David writes so many psalms of lament, you think he's bipolar, clinically depressed. I don't want to read somebody's journal and you can answer every question. I'm drawn towards people that sometimes their journals say, help. That's what the father likes. The father, the, the number one metaphor in scripture for us is sheep shepherd. <laughs> so if you walk around boasting about everything that you are, all the father's got to say is, let me just remind you, you're sheep. 
you look at a sheep wrong and they get skittish. Verse 6, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one would think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. We spend most of our time in the kingdom pursuing strength when the only formula he ever gives us is to pursue weakness. Pursuing weakness is admitting what you're not. It's called humbling yourselves. By the way, I'm not talking about self-deprecation or self-cutting emotionally. I'm just saying a genuine acknowledgement of this quote. I came across this quote this week. I thought it was fantastic. It's a quote that I want to hang on in my own life for quite a while. It was said many, many years ago from St. Joseph of Uptina. Do not judge anyone. Forgive everyone. Consider yourself worse than everyone in the world, and then you will be saved. The sheep that win in the kingdom, they don't see themselves better as their spouse, their friends, or another sheep. Every morning they wake up and they say this, Father, I seem to be struggling a lot. So I just bear hug the cross. I get really low. I'm going to hug the bottom part of it. I need your grace in my life. And I admit to you that I don't have the competency to conquer what's coming at me right now. You know, AA is more representative of what it means to be Christian than a lot of churches. First step in AA is admitting what you're not. That's the way it is in the kingdom. Jesus said, I didn't come for healthy people. I came for the sick. It's not faith to have cancer and declare that you don't if you do. That's not faith. And I'm just saying our condition apart from the cross is so wretched. And we just need to be reminded that as a sheep, we're in great need of a shepherd. Paul could have boasted he was yanked up into heaven and saw things that you can't even describe, literally. And then what did he do? What was his response? Instead of saying, oh, look at me, great apostle Paul. He says, I am the chief of sinners. The kingdom flows to a low person. It just does. And and the goal of our lives is not breakthrough. The goal of our lives is friendship with the Father. But there are benefits to being weak and, and being friends with him. You just see breakthrough wherever you go, wherever you step. And there's so much in spirit-filled communities about confessing who you are in Christ. I get it. I love it. I'm writing a book on it. But if you don't mix and mingle that with also a confession of what you're not, you'll be conceited, get puffed up, and the enemy will take you out of here. Because at the end of the day, if you're the most bowed up sheep in the fold, you're still a sheep. The fi- Have you ever asked yourself, what does he like? Because he has a personality. You know that Jesus eats. After the resurrection, he, was, he cooked barbecue fish for his disciples. He's a person. He's not invisible. You just can't see him. That realm is more real than this realm. That realm invented this realm. And he's a person. And people have feelings and have emotions. He wept over Jerusalem. Uh, he wept over Lazarus. I guarantee they laughed a lot. Have you ever asked yourself, what does he like? I'm gonna, I, I can promise you, he does like this. I can tell you one thing. He likes a low person. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not saying self-deprecation to where you're just 
beating yourself up. I'm just saying, remind yourself why you need a Savior so much. So look at John 10. In John 10, we get a snapshot. You see here on the walls, Jesus said last week, is I, we're in the I Am series. He says, before Abraham was I Am. And in this passage, he identifies himself as a great shepherd. And the shepherd is not for the intention to get you into heaven. The shepherd is the intention to help you to walk in heaven while you're here. Walking in heaven while you're here is in deep friendship with the shepherd himself. He's not a shepherd. He's the shepherd. And so very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own. When you don't know what to do in life, don't try to figure out a strategy. Go to the shepherd and say to the shepherd, I can't get myself out of this entanglement. I don't know what to do. And then don't open your mouth until the shepherd speaks. Because a lot of times he's not speaking because he's trying to build trust in us. And so he'll be silent for a time. A way in which he grooms us is to be silent because your faith gets so deep in silent seasons. You know, if I put my hand to something and say, I want you to bless it, great shepherd, it doesn't work that way. If I just come to the shepherd and I say, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do, maybe it's not even a crisis. Maybe you genuinely, you want to go to college, you don't know where to go. Go to the shepherd. The metaphor in the Bible is not that he gets you into an afterlife. It's that he guides you beside still waters all the days of your life. I have no idea why we read Psalm 23 at funerals. It makes no sense to me. When you're dead, you don't need that. You're looking at him. Sheep need to be soothed in the midst of war, alienation, hardship. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say, when you come to see me one day, you will have trouble there. In this world, you will have trouble. When do we need a shepherd? Right now. When Satan's annihilating your marriage and you just think it's a personality conflict and the Lord opens up your eyes here in spiritual warfare, you need a shepherd. When you lose your job and you can't even put one plus one is two, it makes no sense. When you lose your house, when your best friend who's been hiding a secret from you for five years, who's secretly addicted, you never knew it to whatever substance. I could list a thousand other things. That's when you need a shepherd. And I'm just telling you, acknowledging that there's a shepherd and abiding in that shepherd are two different things. You only know where you are when the bullets are flying. That's why David said in Psalm 23, he prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Life would not be as joyful in the kingdom if there were no enemies. He calls us overcomers because we have something to overcome. I don't like snakes. I can't stand them. I'm only scared of two things in this world, snakes and my wife. In that order, I hate snakes, all right? <laughs> so this past week on Highway 14, I ran over a snake so large it felt like I was running over a speed bump. And I live right off 14. It's about 500 yards from my house. It, this... I, and, and, and please don't give me that. Well, it's a black snake. Don't worry about it. I don't like people like you. I don't like that. <laughs> I 
I can't, I don't like them. If, if Satan would have shown up in the garden as a llama, I'd hate llamas. I don't like snakes. And I've got a small car. I hit this snake. It was at least, it was at least five feet long. And, <laughs> that was funny. So I pull up my driveway a minute after I hit the snake and I get into my garage and the garage was open. And this isn't trigonometry. When it's 100 degrees, that's where Mr. No Shoulders, they like to go there. And I walked into my garage and I've just over the years trained myself. I don't care. And, and listen, some of you think I'm extreme. That's okay. That's all right. I don't care. I go to the grocery store and ask God where stuff is. So I walk in my garage and I said, Father, I have a request for you. And I remind myself, I don't remind the Father. A lot of charismatics think you have to remind the Father of what his word says. He knows what it says. You're reminding yourself what it says. And I said out loud, I can come into the throne room boldly and that the prayers of a righteous man avail much. I'm righteous. The blood of Jesus covers me. I said, Father, I don't want any snakes in my yard this season. And I trust you. And I knew I was studying about shepherd this week. You're my shepherd. And by faith, I'm not going to go buy mothballs. I'm not going to do it. Mm -mm. I'm going to put my faith on the line, and I want you to protect me. And then right right when I was done, I said, and rats and mice too. I don't want any of those. (laughs) About four hours later, Wendy came home from a worship night here. Was that on Tuesday night? She came home. She's on the phone with me. She's pulling up the driveway. You ever talk to your spouse where you you talk, and then all of a sudden you're talking in the same house? from the car. Well, right before she got in the house, I heard Wendy scream. My heart dropped. She's on the phone with me. I said, what? She said, there's a ginormous owl right above our uh, trash can. And I guess I just think about owls being about that big. I don't see many owls. Owl. Have you ever seen an owl? Well, she screams. And my first, my first thought was, I should have asked the father to keep owls out of my yard. The Holy Spirit said, Chad, why do you think the owl's in your backyard? I had a 30-minute conversation with the God of the universe. We got pictures of this owl. 30-minute conversation with God of the universe. He said, Chad, you asked me to protect your yard from rodents. And I sent the owl. And he said, I want you to go upstairs and lay on your bed. I'm going to talk to you. I have no idea why he tells me to do that. I don't know no distractions. My bed's comfortable. I don't know. Maybe it's reclining. I don't know. I went upstairs. I laid in the bed and he said, I'm going to teach you to see in the night season. I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach you and train you to go where others can't go. And I'm going to actually train you to go into snake pits and help people in the worst positions possible. And he said, but I'm going to train you to see in ways that you've never seen before. And I don't remember where I got prayed for about the eyesight. I want to say whatever. I don't know what day it was. Here's what I'm saying. That whole thing manifested not because of the sovereignty of God. The whole thing manifested because I said, you are my shepherd. And I think you care about everything. I don't want any snakes in my yard this year. There are so many things left untouched in the kingdom because we don't ask for them. My wife lost her keys about six months ago. She loses them a lot. But about six months ago. And she said, Lord, why did you tell me where my keys were? And he said, because you didn't ask me. 
You know, see, God's a personality. His DNA doesn't change. Like his personality makeup, he likes to be pursued. And so if my position is, well, I'm just going to let the shepherd do, do his job. I'll be a sheep and he'll be the shepherd. That's not how it works. The sheep's job is to keep his eyes or her eyes on wherever the shepherd is. And if the shepherd goes to the right, he doesn't owe it to you to tell you he's moving. His expectations is that you're watching him and it doesn't matter that he's moving because you're going with him. A lot of times when the sheep go astray, it's not that they've gone anywhere. They've stopped watching him. He's moved on. You're way behind him. And that's when you get in trouble. That's when wolves come. So what does the sheep do? The sheep is constantly doing this. And in a kingdom, in a democracy, you have a vote. In a theocracy, you don't say, excuse me, um, shepherd, I need some explanation on why you're moving to the right. (laughs) If you ask why to this shepherd, he'll never answer it. It's an illegal question in the kingdom. Because as the shepherd, he's the Lord, he's the owner, he's the king, he's sovereign. You don't vote him in, you don't vote him out. But this is a good king, and this is a tender king. And the way he's wired us is to follow. Everybody wants to be a leader. Nobody wants to be a follower. First call in your life is to be a follower. Because if you can't learn how to follow, God will never be able to trust you with anything to lead. Because he knows that what you're leading, you perhaps will lead away from where the shepherd is. The greatest leaders in the world aren't, aren't highly competent. They're actually quite weak. And if you're seeing breakthrough in what you're leading in your business, in your organization, it's not because you're brilliant. Brilliance is so overrated. What's underrated is the ability for a leader to wake up and say, what is on your mind today, shepherd? Sometimes he says, you know what? What's on my mind is just how proud I am of you. In the next season, you say, what is on your mind? And he goes, I'm glad you asked. We need to talk about a few things. (laughs) I don't like those seasons. But the shepherd says whatever he wants to say, but it's all predicated upon me leaning into the shepherd. Let's throw a Hebrew word up here. This Hebrew word for trust is bitakon. What does this word mean? The word means to lean on, lean on. So let's go to John 13. This is exactly what trusting the Lord means. So when I say in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and never lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your path. What does the word trust mean? It literally means to lean on. Most people think trusting the Lord is believing that he can deliver. It's not what trust means. I can, if the Lord's there, I can trust the Lord from back here, but all I'm doing is mentally assenting to what he's capable of. To trust the Lord is to get right up on his arm and say, I'm a scared sheep, I need you to hold me. He loves those prayers. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. This is, they're trying to figure out who's going to betray him. Next verse. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Everyone say that word, reclining. Okay, now watch this. Twelve disciples in a room, only one reclining on Jesus. Next verse. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. And then verse 25 is phenomenal. Leaning back against Jesus. That is the Hebrew idea of what it means to trust. Oh, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Just because I say something doesn't mean that I'm actually in my heart leaning into him. Now, here's what's fascinating. Of all the disciples at the cross, the one leaning on Jesus was the only one that made it to the cross. Peter fled. Judas fled. The other Jews fled. Bartholomew, Andrew, all of them, they're gone. I can surmise objectively that John trusted the shepherd more than the other 11, which shows me that trust is not 
subjective. It's very objective. I can say that I trust the Lord, but if I don't go to the cross, what I say is not really trust. It's just an acknowledgement. And the devil can acknowledge who the shepherd is. I don't want to acknowledge who the shepherd is. Where he goes, that's where I'm going. So if he's leading me into a snake pit, that's where I'm going. I don't have to spend six months fasting on whether or not he's calling me to move to Haiti or India. It doesn't matter. He's calling me to himself. And where he goes, that's where I'm going. That's why Moses said, I ain't going anywhere unless you go with me. I will not go anywhere. I'm not budging unless you go with me. The call in your life is not to figure out what he wants you to do. Quit being so American. It's always about what we're going to do, what we're going to build. He's interested in who you're becoming. And you can't become like him if you're not with him. You want to know how to grow in prophecy? This is so simple. You've got to hire someone to help you misunderstand it. Here's how you grow in prophecy. When I am leaning on the chest of Jesus, he can whisper and I can hear him. If I'm a mile away from him, I can't hear him. Get to Jesus. Father, what is on your mind? You can get so connected that instead of coming and going, you live your whole life reclining and leaning back. You can live your whole life leaning back. Then we're brought to ask this question. Well, you just don't know what it's like to go through my story. Come on now. The self-entitlement thing and the my story is worse than your story. There's only one way for us to all walk the whole thing out. No matter what your story is in your past or where you're going in your future, if you're not leaning on Jesus, it's not going to go well. And I'm fascinated because so many people are led astray by the enemy. The enemy convinces us that this shepherd is really not that kind and he doesn't have our best interests at heart. The reason he wept at the, at the, um, the young man, the rich young ruler, is because Jesus would have given him more than he already had. When you come to Jesus and you go to the cross... It may seem like you're losing everything. You're actually gaining everything. Because once you have deep friendship with the Father, I'm telling you the truth. You become untouchable. Church history tells us that John was stuck in a boiling vat and it didn't kill him. He was the only one that wasn't killed. He's on Patmos and lives a long, long time. This is the one reclining on the chest of Jesus. Spiritual warfare is not identifying that there's a wolf coming. I'm I'm not the pastor to come to to tell me about wolves coming. I'm just telling you. I'm not trying to be mean. Why am I going to worry about a wolf when my shepherd just glances at the wolf and the wolf tucks its tail? If you're in spiritual warfare and you're constantly going after the wolf, you're you're just going to get so tangled up in it. The best thing you do is to get on the chest of Jesus and just stand. When your big brother is Jesus, when the great shepherd, I'm just telling you, the wolves in our lives. Remember what David said as a shepherd? I saw him deliver me from this and this the lion and the bear. The wolves never stop coming. In this world, you will have trouble. But if you're not careful, you'll engage the wolf when all the father wants you to do is to engage him. When you put your head on the chest of Jesus, you can get more wisdom in three second word from him than 10 years of counseling. I'm serious. And I don't devalue counseling. I've probably been in more counseling than anyone in this room in my past. I love wise counsel. I just love the wise counsel of my shepherd better give you another perfect example. Um, where's Sammy? Uh, two days ago, me and Sammy left the golf course at the same time. And an hour later, um, he wasn't home yet. It, my first go-to, and I know this seems silly to certain people, instead of getting in the car and going and looking for him, I said, Lord, where's he at? The Lord said he's still hitting balls on the range. And his mama got a little bit worked up. 
And uh, I came downstairs. Sammy came into the house. I said, where you been? He said, I decided to hit some balls on the range. I cannot, it, it becomes so, um, you can get so connected to the shepherd that he will talk to you about everything and anything and give you a heads up on things. And people say, oh, you're so prophetic. He's not prophetic. Prophetic, that's so overrated. You're so intimate. That's why the kindness of the Father leads man to repentance. He or she who is the most intimate with the Savior, you just get benefits other people don't get. I just need the five-fold blessing from apostle so-and-so and and bishop so-and-so, and and I need to learn to pray that way, and I'm going to go to that training school for three years to learn to get words like you, like you can get them. How about this? Go to a school called Leaning on Jesus. All three of my children... I've never taken them through a prophetic class. And I love prophetic classes. When I teach them, though, this is all I'm going to teach. All three of my kids can prophesy the white off a golf ball. All three of them. Because we're just training them. I love you, Sammy, in reality. I'm your brother. And there's, there, I, I'm, I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd in Sam's life. I'm not the shepherd. I've trained this kid to get his get get reclining on Jesus. Same with Ruthie and same with Jack. Because there's going to come a point, and he's so gracious that he gives us other shepherds. But he's the shepherd. In the moment, a pastor, a leader, a writer, an author becomes the shepherd. This is where it gets so sick in Christianity. When you, you pump these people up on pedestals and make them somebody they're not. We are all sheep, and God calls us to shepherd other people, but he is the shepherd. And if I can just get connected to him, I don't ask questions like, what's God's will for my life? I've gotten to a point where I just, I'm not giving as many words for people recently because I just feel like I'm supposed to push people to Jesus. Get a word from Jesus. Get one from him. Well, I'm I'm not in the fivefold. I mean, Satan's got you so tripped up about all of that. Matter of fact, uh, John 10, can we throw up John 10? I feel like I'm in a crock pot up here. All right, go, go, uh, can you go to the next verse? All right, go to verse five, I think. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Next verse. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. This is basically what Jesus is saying. My sheep know my voice. So if you are a sheep in here, which you are, then you can put faith in this word right here in three verses that you can hear his voice. And I'm going to tell you this. It's not evil to run to someone else for a word all the time. It's not evil. It's just a sign of immaturity. And I want us to grow up together. You know, I love about Sean Bowles. Sean says this, or basically this is my interpretation of Sean. If you think Sean is uncommon, then he will be. And that model will be the rest of your life. If you think it's common to flow in the prophetic so easily, then that will become your reality. So if I'm not getting words, it's not an indication that I'm not anointed. It's an indication that I'm not reclining on the chest of Jesus. It's getting to the point where like Babe Ruth um, called his home runs before he hit them. I cannot tell you how many times in the past three months I will write down my dream before I have it that night. Oh, you're just so anointed. No! If you could hang out with me, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm pretty boring. I play golf, I eat cheese, and I watch football. That's it. 
can you just, I just, can you please just anoint me? My gosh. Yes. You're a sheep. He's the shepherd. If you stop talking long enough, you could hear him and snuggle up with him. Um, I feel like I have some words right now. We'll end with this. If, if, uh, if you really desire to live your life leaning back into him, and you realize you're not there right now. You know, some of us just come and go. If you really desire to just stick to him like a magnet, just raise your hand. I'm going to speak a blessing over you. Okay. In the name of Jesus, may you be like John. Amen. You know the difference in Simon Peter? The difference in Simon Peter and John? I'll die for you. I'll kill for you. I'll do anything for you. Takes the sword out. Cuts off the ear of Malchus. The loudest one in the room is always the weakest one in the room. You got to watch those quiet ones that are leaned up to Jesus. When they talk, it's like E.F. Hutton. People listen. John called himself the beloved. Peter denied him. John allowed the Lord to love him. When you allow the Lord to love you first and you receive that love. Remember what Peter said, you ain't gonna wash my feet. And Jesus said, no problem, you have none of me then. John didn't say that. Let him love you first and then you lean on to him. He'll give you wisdom in your situation that's uncommon. You know what's awesome? To be 25 years old and have the wisdom of a 70 year old. There are a couple of people I know in my life that they are half my age and sometimes I feel like they are wiser than I am. Because wisdom comes from the shepherd. Get out of all that word of knowledge stuff, blah, blah, blah. It's all true, but I'm just telling you, the root of it is right here. All the gifts of the Spirit start here. If you want to operate in all the gifts of the Spirit, you can break down 1 Corinthians all day long, but if you're not reclining on Jesus, what is the point? You do a bunch of stuff and you don't walk in any character and you wreck your own life and you wreck other people's lives. It is hard to wreck my life when my head is constantly on the chest of Jesus. When my head is on the chest of Jesus, I don't need nine code words on my internet. Because who I am in secret, I'm on his chest. I don't come and go. I don't come to a building. This is 24-7 habitation, just complete love. Even when you mess up, you don't have to yell at him. You just say, that's kind of so awkward messing up like I just did, knowing that I'm right here beside you. And he says, yeah, and I love you. Um, someone's in job transition right now. You're trying to figure out which way to go on occupation. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? Okay, wow. Can you guys come down front? And I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray for you. You're in occupational transition. I feel like I need one of those fans you get when you go to funerals in the deep south. supposed to be 76 degrees next Sunday praise God wow man you know what why don't you guys just behind them just extend your hands start praying for them out loud just pray for them go ahead
I bless you with the courage to get on the chest of Jesus and stay there until the shepherd speaks. I bless you with the courage to trust him more than your resume. May you throw all your eggs in this basket. Is there a Timothy in here or a Tim? A Timothy or a Tim? Anybody? Right here. The Father just wants you to know that he loves you a lot and you're pure-hearted. And any form of self-condemnation at all is not from him. He sees you and he knows you in the secret places. And he's got you and there's a great plan for your life. And uh, have you been here often? Yeah, there, there's just an assignment on you. And I just see Bridgeway just pumping you full of DNA of heaven's culture. And uh, there's, a, there's a really special, unique assignment on your life. You go by Timothy or Tim? Timmy? Does your mom call you Timothy? Has anyone ever called Is that your name on your birth certificate? Yeah, it's interesting. He's just got you, and he knows you. Are you in college? Where are you at in life right now? High school. Do you want to go to college? Yeah, where do you want to go? Yeah, I agree. University of Georgia. That's awesome, brother. All right, let's stand up together. You know what? We need to take offering, or we'll have to let's sit back down for a second. Let's take offering. All right. Ask the ushers to come forward. Thank you guys for coming up here, by the way. I want to make an announcement as we pass the baskets for tithes and offerings. Um, something really exciting is going on. And then also I'm going to have John come up here and close this day with an announcement about website. Uh, we're raising $150,000 right now for a new parking lot. We're going to paint the exterior of this building. We're also going to put two signs up on August the 15th of this year, this summer. We're going to have uh, Bridgeway Christian Academy will be unveiled. There'll be a new sign over there. Property will be refurbished over there. This is Operation Renewal. And we're in the process right now. I believe we've raised already $5,000, need $145,000 more. This property is going to just come alive. We host the Holy Spirit well. We want to host people well. There may be someone in this room today that you could write a check for $100,000. Just be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Whether he has you give $1 or pay for the whole thing, just be obedient to that. But as a family, I laid out the 30-year vision last week. You can go listen to that online from last week. But the first step in that is just the beautification of the property. It's time to wake this property up. We're really excited about that. There's a couple of ways you can give. You can go to bridgewaychurch.org. You can click on this banner right here. It'll show you how to give. Or you can also write a check and put it in the bucket in the back. And on the memo line, put Operation Renewal. So we're going to raise $150,000. And I'll just keep talking about it until that harvest comes in. And by the end of this summer, this place is going to be beautiful. We're going to be able to host people very, very well. In the name of Jesus, I just bless this tithe and offerings uh, to fulfill every bit of vision that God ever wants for this place. In Jesus' name, amen.